A quick history lesson. The Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, or CFIUS, was established by President Gerald Ford in 1975. Last August, 43 years later, the Foreign Investment Risk Review Modernization Act, or FIRMA, was signed into law by President Trump, and a related pilot program was introduced back in October. So it turns out that foreign investment can be very complicated. But you didn't think you're just going to write a check, did you? We have a Jones Day panel here to explain. I'm Dave Dalton. You're listening to Jones Day Talks Government Regulation. This is the second in a series of Jones Day podcasts on foreign direct investment regimes and how those regimes and changes to them could affect deal flow in jurisdictions around the world. You can find that first episode, Managing Multi-Jurisdictional M&A, at jonesday.com. We're joined by Jones Day's Justin Huff, Laura Frederick, and Chase Konicki. All three are with the firm's government regulation practice, and all three are based in Washington, D.C. Justin, Laura, Chase, thanks for being here today. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. In getting ready for today's program, I was surprised to find out that the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, or CFIUS as we come to know it, was actually established by President Ford back in 1975. Justin, tell us more about CFIUS, what its purpose is, and why it has been discussed so much recently. Sure. So CFIUS is an interagency committee authorized to review certain transactions involving foreign investments in the United States. And their goal is to identify and address when necessary any national security concerns that arise as a result of those transactions. Traditionally, companies have provided a voluntary notification to the committee to have their transaction reviewed. If CFIUS concludes action and approves or clears a deal, companies are free from the risk that the president would take action later. Mm. Under the law, the president has the authority to prohibit a planned transaction or require a foreign company to divest its interest in or ownership of a U.S. business if he identifies a national security concern. What CFIUS, kinds of deals, what kinds of companies are we talking about typically? What, what sort of industries, I guess? All sorts of companies have made filings in the past. Primarily, we see investments that have been voluntarily notified to the committee that involve companies that have contracts with the U.S. government, particularly those in the defense space, companies who have access to sensitive personal data of U.S. citizens, mm-hmm. um, and even companies who are although they might be benign in what they do, are located near sensitive military installations. I see. So why the spike in interest recently? Well, CFIUS has become an important consideration for foreign investors for a number of reasons. Over the past couple of years, the spike has increased significantly. Um, This is partly driven by the number of investments coming from China, as well as a number of high-profile transactions that resulted in presidential action. Although CFIUS operates completely confidentially, presidential decisions are publicly announced. You mentioned China specifically. How much of this recent action or activity revolving around CFIUS is kind of focused on China and what they've been doing? That's a great question, Dave. I think that in the last couple of years, particularly, the majority of the concerns that the committee has identified have had some sort of a nexus from China, whether it was an investment from a Chinese company or whether the investor has strong ties to the Chinese government or other Chinese businesses. CFIUS is is very cautious about the Chinese investment strategy here in the United States and wants to ensure that the investments that the Chinese companies are making don't threaten the national security of the United States. Okay, and it goes kind of back to maybe the the circumstance that you described before in terms of the types of industries 
uh, maybe even the locations near, you said sensitive areas, military uh, installations, that kind of thing. So, but China, I guess, is raising uh, red flags, if you will, in terms of maybe some of the things they would have liked to have done or invested in, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. And unfortunately, because the committee operates under strict confidentiality rules, we don't always know exactly what the committee has done or prohibited. Sure. But we know there's been lots of reports in the press about different deals that have even just fallen apart, even absent presidential action. And a lot of times those are tied to Chinese investors who are looking to make it a strategic investment, but unfortunately couldn't get through that process. Understood. Okay. Let's go over to Laura for a second. The Foreign Investment Risk Review Modernization Act. Or for, By the way, who in Washington comes up with these names? Is that You guys are in D.C. <laughs> I'm not. Is there a special department or division or a committee or something? Anyway, the Foreign Investment Risk Review Modernization Act, FIRMA, was signed into law by President Trump back in August. Laura, what is FIRMA and what were the specific concerns that brought it about? Well, FIRMA is the first additional legislation related to the CFIUS process in the last 12 years. Mm -hmm. And I think you've heard from Justin about the concerns related to China and Chinese investments. And in large measure, I think that's what brought it about. Specifically concerns that foreign parties, including China, might be obtaining access to sensitive technology in the United States without being reviewed by CFIUS. And the reason for that is that the CFIUS process prior to FIRMA was completely voluntary. Uh, It was a voluntary process that if the parties wanted to be sure that they would not be subject to a potential divestment order, they could go to the committee, the interagency committee, as Justin described, and they could get clearance for their transaction, but a completely voluntary process. And CFIUS didn't really have the resources to go out and ask for a review of all of the transactions related to Chinese investment and technology investments that concerned it. So Congress passed FIRMA, which expands CFIUS jurisdiction in some cases and also requires mandatory filings in some cases. So the mandatory filing requirement is a very new requirement, which I think uh, was driven by this concern about technology investment. There's already a pilot program for mandatory filings in certain critical technology sectors, Mm -hmm. and there is required to be a mandatory filing for investments when there's a substantial government ownership in the investing party in the United States. So that has not come to fruition yet. FIRMA was signed in August, as you noted, Dave, but regulations to implement all of the FIRMA requirements are not required to be completed until March of 2020. In the meantime, however, they were granted the authority to set up these pilot programs prior to completing all of the regulatory process. So a pilot program has already been set up for the critical technology sector. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's go back to FIRMA for a second, more broadly. This was signed in August, the Trump administration. Was this something that was percolating under the previous administration, or did the new administration have a, uh, a role in kind of bringing this sort of activity forward? I think this isn't a political show, so I don't mean to go that way specifically, but I'm just curious. Is this something that maybe was in the works, or was this maybe something that the Trump administration was kind of pushing for and didn't waste any time doing? I think there there was a concern at the end of the Obama administration. Indeed, uh, one deal was blocked by President Obama at the end of 
his administration. I think there was somewhat of a concern about the CFIUS process generally. It is not a partisan issue, though. There was heavy support on both sides of the political spectrum for this legislation, an almost unanimous vote by senators and congressmen to pass this legislation. So it's very well supported across the board and in the White House. And certainly these are reasonable things I think most of us would agree on. Uh, Chase, Laura mentioned a pilot program that took effect back in November. And how was that supposed to change the foreign investment process here? Was it mostly about certain things not being voluntary anymore? Or I guess, what were the intentions of the pilot program that was kicked off back in November? Yeah, Dave, I think you nailed it for the most part. I think there was a concern in many folks in the U.S. government that there were uh, foreign investments taking place in what we call critical technologies here in the U.S. that were not being notified to CFIUS because CFIUS at the time was a voluntary process. And so I think the largest impact that the pilot program has is to require parties to those types of transactions to notify CFIUS and get those transactions in front of the U.S. government so the U.S. government knows where the foreign investments are and how that could impact U.S. national security. Makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. In fact, there's a Jones Day commentary that came out just recently, I think in January of this year, uh, about the pilot program. So well done on that. Listeners can find that at jonesday.com on our publications page. Back to Justin, how's the pilot program working out so far? What are your impressions? Well, from what we can tell, it's going pretty well. Um, We understand CFIUS received a couple of dozen declarations after the pilot program was commenced. Um, A couple of these declarations even made it through the process successfully and benefited from the shortened timeline before the shutdown occurred. Mm. Unfortunately, CFIUS was affected by the shutdown and any of the declarations that were under consideration by CFIUS when the shutdown began were put on hold. We understand that not all the companies had their deals approved or cleared. And we also understand that um, CFIUS requested full filings related to a number of these declarations. Mm. Now that the government is fully funded, we understand that CFIUS is actively working through those transactions and that they're sorting through all those declarations that were submitted while the shutdown was in place. And this is across several different agencies, you said, right? Do they have uh, working groups that that go through these filings? Or I wonder what the process is actually like. Well, you said they're kind of not secretive exactly. Well, maybe they are secretive. Maybe we don't know all the workings. But is this a kind of a cross-agency endeavor when they're looking at the, uh, the documentation? It absolutely is. The committee is made up of nine member agencies, mm-hmm. um, and these include departments chaired by the Treasury Department, but others such as the Justice Department, the Defense Department, Commerce, State, Energy, are all participants and review each and every declaration or submission that was sent to the committee. And they, they act in unison. They, they make a decision as a collective body to either approve and clear the transactions or to refer the matter to the president. And Dave, Justin knows a lot about this process because he ran the process for four years in the Department of the Treasury. Really? Uh, We we are breathing rarefied air. So, you know what, actually, (laughs) Justin, I remember this from your bio, so apologies. I I should have mentioned that. So, well, that's awesome. That's awesome. And speaking of which, someone just handed me a note. Uh, Jones Day, first pilot program declaration. What's that all about? Yes, we were pleased to be able to get in at the beginning of the process, and shortly after the process opened on November 10th, we filed one of the declarations for one of our clients, and 
We were happy to get a call from the Undersecretary at Treasury, who's responsible for this exercise, the CFIUS process, to to congratulate us on having the first pilot program declaration transaction approved. Jeez, there you go. Nailed that one to the wall. Congratulations to uh, everybody over there for that. Let's stay with you, Laura, for a second. How is all this, uh, the new workings, uh, CFIUS, firm, et cetera, affecting deals? I mean, is it affecting negotiations, timelines? I don't know, maybe even deal values. How is this affecting people that are foreign investors interested in investing here? That's a good question. And there are very significant effects. I mean, there have been significant effects for several years as the CFIUS process has become a little bit more burdensome. Over, over time, particularly, I think, in the newest administration, because there was a little bit of uncertainty as to how the process would go, people started filing, making their voluntary filings at a higher rate, some people being concerned that if they didn't file, that CFIUS would come asking questions and it could affect the transaction. But those increased filings, given the lack of resources in the process, has led to longer timelines. So that's a very significant impact on deals. If you're going to go through the CFIUS process, you now need to consider at least a four to six month timeline process to get your clearance. The other point, of course, is the new mandatory program and the requirement that some filings are now mandatory. That's a very significant new and different thing. Before, the parties could decide whether they wanted to take the risk of not going before the committee. But now if it's mandatory and you don't make the filing, the potential penalty for both of the parties is up to the value of the transaction. So that's very significant. It's impacting strategy issues. If you have a mandatory filing, for example, should you do the short form declaration and try to get a quick clearance or should you file the regular typical voluntary filing and go through the four to six month process? There is more impact to come because of FIRMA. As I noted before, not all of the provisions of FIRMA are in effect yet because not all of the regulations have been drafted. So there's going to be more impact to come for deals and negotiations. There's a whole strategy involved, at least a level of strategy that there maybe wasn't before. So this is really interesting. Absolutely. And we're we're seeing that already, given the mandatory requirement, we had three deals with very sort of different fact patterns, different circumstances, and different business issues driving the negotiations. And they all came out in a different way as to how to deal with the mandatory filing requirement. You know, and again, some of this is coming back to me. Again, the, the commentary, the client commentary you put out, and it's jonesday.com on the publications page. This is outlined and explained very well there, so I would ask anyone with more questions to go straight to the publications page and find that. Kind of picking up on some of the points Laura made, Chase, what kinds of questions are you getting from clients now? What's concerning them with all this? Is it getting a deal delayed, or are there other things? Is it the expense? Is it just becoming less efficient? What are clients concerned about? Yeah, uh, great question. I think you know we get a variety of questions, uh, CFIUS related, particularly since the pilot program came into place. But I think if I had to separate them into two of the primary questions we get, I guess the first one would be, is this transaction covered by the pilot program? And you know, unfortunately, the answer always is usually, I guess, maybe. Uh, we need to ask you some questions. Um, and, and typically that involves looking not only at the investment structure from the foreign investor's perspective, is the investor getting control rights, for example, or if it's a passive investment, is that foreign limited partner getting uh, non-control rights that 
could potentially trigger the pilot program. For example, you know, access to material, non-public information, uh, those sorts of rights could trigger the pilot program. That's the, on the foreign investment side. On the U.S. side, the key questions are, do you have a so-called critical technology? And if so, are you using that critical technology in certain industries that are targeted by this pilot program? You know, it sounds like the answer to those questions should be relatively straightforward. And in many cases, uh-huh. it is. Um, the, whether your critical technology or not is fairly well defined. It's fairly what? black and white. Yeah. What, what, give me an example. What would be a critical technology, I guess? Sure. So things like military technology, if a U.S. business manufactures what we call ITAR-controlled technology or products, that's a way that it could be a critical technology company. Or if they're not making ITAR-controlled products, perhaps they have items that are subject to more stringent uh, export controls under the Export Administration Regulations, the EAR. Uh, Those are fairly simple questions to answer. It may take some digging and working with technical folks at the company to figure out whether they have this type of technology. But at the end of the day, you can usually get a yes or no answer. Um, I think there's one, unfortunately, yet to be defined portion of the critical technology definition, and that's these so-called emerging and foundational technologies that have been in the news recently. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the last portion of the definition that I think has a lot of folks concerned because it creates uncertainty for them. We know there are certain types of industries and technologies that the government is thinking about capturing by this list, Uh but we don't have a finalized list yet. And so folks who are on the cutting edge technology space think things like artificial intelligence or even even in the semiconductor world, people who are are developing the next generation of semiconductor technology Mm -hmm. uh, that may not currently be subject to export controls may find themselves subject to export controls and potentially fall under this pilot program to the extent they look to raise capital from outside the United States. Well, it sounds like this is a heavy lift for in-house counsel, potentially. The target might be moving all the time, or am I exaggerating? That, that, that's right. And I, I think for folks who are in these industries that, like I said, are not subject to export controls, but that could be, not only have a potential CFIUS issue on their hands, but the whole point of a lot of this, as you've correctly noted, is to Make sure that the technology that the U.S. government considers to be sensitive stays in the U.S. and at least isn't exported to to China. So I think folks who are thinking of setting business operations up in China uh, have to think about this as well. One thing we know, Dave, is that there are going to be changes coming. There Mm -hmm. was an advance notice of proposed rulemaking has been issued, and we know that an interagency committee is looking at the question of what are these new emerging and foundational technologies that should be more export controlled. So it's when, going to be an you, impact uh, not only in the CFIUS world, yeah. because it's going to define part of what is the critical technology that's going to be subject to this mandatory filing for CFIUS, but it's also going to create a new export control requirement and new restrictions for transfer of certain of these technologies to foreign countries. So we know this is coming. We've been helping various clients evaluate what that could be. But the other thing we've been doing is helping various clients succeed in achieving their goals before this comes to the extent that any clients are thinking of issues in this area that they can go ahead and achieve before the changes. That's an important factor to consider. Oh, absolutely. When might this list, and this is probably just the next version, right? Because as technologies change and and processes change and industries evolve. There are going to be a lot of lists. 
But when do you expect the next version in terms of uh, what they're we We're not sure. The notice of proposed rule maybe making came out in November. There was a request for comments that was supposed to close in December. They extended that to January 13th, but there weren't very many comments filed. I think parties are very concerned about raising their hand and putting the spotlight on their industries to avoid having additional restrictions placed on their technology. And so I think it's really going to be incumbent on the government and the committees to get smart people together to hunker down and really think about what's the best way to do this. I personally don't see a definitive list coming out in the next six months, maybe not the next year. Okay. Well, this dovetails beautifully into what I'd like to use as sort of our wrap-up question today. What comes next? We covered a lot of ground today, but Laura mentioned, you know, maybe there's some guidance coming out, uh, Commerce Department. Are there other pilot programs maybe? Uh, what are we expecting? Let's go around the horn. Uh, Justin, what do you think? What, what can we expect in the CFIUS world coming up soon? Well, as Laura noted, the committee has until March of next year to finalize the regulations. So we know that the committee will invite interested parties to provide comments to the proposed regulations. They certainly could have more pilot programs introduced. There was no limitation on that. They certainly could introduce a pilot program related to foreign government investments here in the United States. Mm -hmm. We don't know what will happen over the next few months, but I think anything is on the table at this point. It's probably very, very true. Uh, Chase, how about you? Anything you'd add at this point? Yeah, I think from a client perspective, I think a lot of uh, folks are asking uh, questions about, well, how do we structure ourselves so that our investments do not trigger CFIUS jurisdiction? And so I think we're going to still continue to see a lot of those types of issues, uh, particularly in the private equity world where uh, private equity companies are setting up new funds and structuring fund documents to ensure that investments by those funds whether in critical technology companies or not here in the U.S., do not fall under the, the pilot program. And so I think we're going to see a lot, a lot there as well. Maneuvering, I guess we would call it. Laura, anything else from you? I guess I would say I think that in-house counsel and, and businesses, generally companies in the United States that are in M&A phases and acquisitive need to really consider the mandatory requirements here that are in place now and those that might come in, in additional pilot programs. And we're telling clients that you need to really put this on your checklist, much like you have antitrust HSR filing issues. And really, for every transaction that involves a foreign party, you need to be thinking about this issue. Very good. We are living in a very interesting time in terms of international and multinational investment. That's for certain. Justin, Laura, Chase, thanks for being here today. This was terrific. Let's do this again soon. Thanks, Dave. Thank All you. Right. In fact, we'll be talking with Chase again. This was just the second podcast in the Direct Foreign Investment series, and he'll be with us for most of the episodes you'll hear on that topic in the future. You can find information on Jones Day's government regulation practice on jonesday.com. While you're there, you can also find complete bios for Justin, Laura, and Chase. Subscribe to Jones Day Talks on Apple Podcasts, Android, Google Play, and Stitcher, and you can listen to previous Jones Day Talks podcasts on jonesday.com. Thanks for spending some time with us today. I'm Dave Dalton. You've been listening to Jones Day Talks, Government Regulation. Thank you for listening to Jones Day Talks. Comments heard on Jones Day Talks should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. The opinions expressed on Jones Day Talks are those of lawyers appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. 
For more information, please visit jonesday.com.